This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn today. How are you, Lynn? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Me too. I'm a little tired, so I'm going to admit that I just came back from Finland a couple days ago, so I'm feeling a little jet lagged. My voice probably doesn't sound its best, but here we are having this conversation. (laughs) And I think travel brings up a lot of different perspectives that are fun to talk about where you get to be exposed to different cultures, different thinking, different ideas, and also different social structures. And I think that's kind of a good foundation for what we're talking about today. Um, You showed me this article, I think, from the New York Times about International Women's Day. And that was something that was fun to experience in Finland because as I went around, I didn't know what day it was. And everyone was wishing you like happy International Women's Day. And that was quite lovely. That's um, amazing to me to hear it. I mean, I I read the article in the Times, and we're going to talk a little bit about Scandinavia today. But nobody here wished me International Woman's Day. Happy? (laughs) Not one person, Jen. So, uh, you know, and I didn't even think to wish other people that. Um, So, you know, again, this gets back to how we live in in cultures that are affected by policies. Yeah. And maybe where we could start next year, I'm going to remember and maybe have a little parade up and down my street here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely going to set a notice in my calendar for it. Yeah, no, it's a really important day. What was it like for you being there? You know, during that time, you said people came up on the street, they said things, did they say things to your partner too? Or? Yeah, I mean, it was wishing to everybody, really. It was it was striking because one of the things that people have said about Finnish people is that they're very concerned and want to have their personal space. And I saw that in some regards. But I also saw that, you know, we were kind of walking through shopping centers and things like that. And it, it was a little different. And, and so I don't know if that's because we were in that environment. Um, but it, it was definitely a joyful thing. And it was wonderful to have that moment of small connection. And that, again, is a way we can be connected throughout the world mm-hmm. if we're behind policies to really help equalize rights for women. Yeah. Um, what struck me about the article in The Times is a couple of things. But first, uh, referring uh, to Sweden as a feminist nation and that Sweden defines itself as such. Right. And that's really part of how everyone thinks of themselves. And I was thinking about that as we struggle with our current president here in the U.S. I would say we're almost, we're in a struggle around how, the role that feminism plays in our nation. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really far from a feminist nation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but hearing in terms of policy, and policy structure. and structure and experience, right? Experience. We're often fighting oppression and uh, harassment, and uh, you know we're at the struggle stage with almost all of this, where we're fighting for rights. So on International Women's Day here, very nicely, the New York Times did a middle page, not a front page article on it, but they did talk about Sweden and they talked about daycare issues, which are really important to me as a grandmother in our country. You know, how do we provide for our kids? They talked about college for women and how many young women are going to college in Sweden more than men and what's involved with that. And they talked about equal pay, you know, which again, a recent Google survey indicated we're 20% behind for most women in work settings still with pay. And it used to be that we were 37% behind. So now we're 20% behind. But that's really very significant uh, for a period when we're supposed to be changing this. Right. I mean, I think it is a sign of progress. I also think that it it's a huge gap still, and it creates a lot of issues around parenting and our beliefs around who who gets to be the parent that stays home. If you if you want to stay home, a lot of times women are forced to stay home because of these types of income discrepancies. And I know I've talked about it before, but I've worked with a lot of stay-at-home dads and they love being a stay-at-home dad. And it comes at a great cost to them because their wives are not able to make the same level of income even if they were doing the same job. And I think the ex- expectation in the U.S., with childcare is that the woman will be at home. You know, that's the setup for it. If any parent is at home, it will be the woman. Right. And I I think that is very unfair because it's really that burden, the double burden we've talked about, you know, with women managing often career, home, children, Mm -hmm. and really going down with that level of, of stress. Well, I think also the emphasis that there's this idea that men don't want to be stay-at-home fathers. You know, to to me, that's patently false. And you can mm-hmm. see that when you visit cultures that do have more of a balance for parental leave and supporting parents in raising their children. One of the great things about Sweden is there's a large portion of parental leave for mother, for father. So everyone is, it's given to a family or really a child. Right. And four years are available. I was even thinking that the grandmothers could kind of ease their way in there and get credit if they're doing, you know, the, the child care which is involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really does take a village. It does. And America doesn't see that. You know, they really don't. I think they do in some regards, but what they consider the village is very different. What do you think they think the village is? I mean, I, I think it's seen as a very personal responsibility and that if you are not able to have this village, it's a fault of your own, not a fault of society and the lack of supports. I think you're expected to construct your own village. Yeah. So it's not as if a village is provided. It's kind of like you have to build it, you know, and that leaves mothers, fathers, struggling to set up that sort of system for their kids, Mm -hmm. you know, makes it really, really difficult. You know, you have to be ready. You have to have support. It's very hard to do this on your own. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that I think is so difficult for with it. 
Well, I think the bigger challenge on top of it is that it's often seen as a personal flaw if you're not able to do it. So then not only are you trying to go out and create this village, which is in itself a challenge, but really if you're having trouble with it, it's seen as what's wrong with you that you can't do this. And a lot of people internalize that type of belief system without necessarily realizing it. And it can keep you from reaching out and building that village. Exactly. You know, they don't even have the concepts in place to understand what policies are really available. Our uh, recently elected governor here, Gavin Newsom, is working for um, preschool in California. And I think that's one thing Mm -hmm. that would be really helpful if that were to be enacted. And this gets to one of the policies that people could really work to get behind. And preschool is definitely something that would make a big difference for kids and for moms. Well, I think being able to invest in education systems that support the whole child is very helpful to society as a, as a whole. Yeah. That's another thing that we seem to lag behind uh, really in the States with. And um Again, uh, I was struck by the high rates of girls going to college in Finland. Mm-hmm. You know, it's much, much, or excuse in me, Sweden, in Sweden. You mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's much, much higher than the rates here in the U.S. And uh, um, whether or not there are problems with that, the article really didn't address it. But um, it's clear that the women were doing the work to get to college and were willing to invest the time. And that college is provided by by the state or by the country in this case, right? Is yes, that's a huge barrier for a lot of people in the U.S. So I I don't know the exact statistics for Finland because I haven't looked into them. But what I do know is that I read that seventy five percent of their population has a college education or higher, and it's because that type of education is provided for by the state, by taxes, by different you know, fees that they pay, but it's provided for and it's seen as inherently important to supporting their society. And we go back to the states here, I think roughly, you know, somewhere between 40 and 50 percent has some college in the United States. But you also look at the large amount of college debt that almost everyone, you, me, everyone carries debt from university, almost everyone in this country. And, uh, you know, how does that play out over time? You know, are you able to pay that off? Uh, You know, what is the true value of that type of education? Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, it really raises a lot of questions. Well, it brings up for me, too, a lot of questions around policy. And like when we're talking about education, what is it that you want to be taught? Because there's so much of a push now towards college isn't preparing people to have jobs. College isn't, you know, and, and... I don't have these magic answers, but I know that I've talked with a lot of people about what do they think they want to get from a college education? Because if they just want it to promote, you know, their ability to get a job, perhaps it's not the best route for them. But I think being able to take college courses on all kinds of different things, it exposes you to different cultures, it exposes you to different ideas, much like travel does. Yeah. No, education is wonderful, really, in that way. And you see how the U.S. policies really target it negatively at all levels, whether it's college or preschool. 
you know, and then with uh, Betsy DeVos's really efforts at high school, middle school, and elementary, you know, you see the pull is really to privatize Mm -hmm. all of the education in the U.S. so that people are paying for it and people are making profits off of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and that model is is really, really very difficult and runs in direct contrast to what you see in Scandinavia. And I think it's so striking that when you look at some of these countries that have the happiest and most productive people, they don't have policies like this. In fact, this article mentioned, I think, that the U.S. dropped down from being somewhere in the 20s, I guess, to 23. And a lot of it, I imagine, is because of, you know, our current government and the social shifts and the policies and the judges that are being hired and all these different levels at which things are changing. You see, it's actually moving us towards a more regressive model in terms of comparing to feminist ideologies. What do you think our listeners, you know, how could we work with our listeners? to Really, what efforts do you think would really yield the most in this whole area of policy and women and Well, I think it's really about, it can be tackled from a lot of different aspects, but I think education is fundamental, supporting education, and part of that includes supporting things like preschool and daycare, and that way people have an ability to really access and take advantage of that access to their education. Um, I think a lot of it also just has to do with understanding what some of the systems are that are in place. And I think that a big part of that comes from these conversations and from building your village and connecting. And I I think that if we can see what is in place and what can be, I think conversations are a huge part of it. Being able to realize that even if you're just one person, by you speaking up, you do make a difference. No, and I think that's what the Me Too movement says so clearly, right. that every voice makes a difference. I mean, one of the changes that's occurred in my life, is interesting how it's kind of polarized. I'm doing a lot more little grandmother care with little James and now little Maisie and direct line and taking them to preschool and, you know, dealing a lot with issues related to little kids, which has opened my eyes again to that front. But uh, also, I work in the court system on these large, uh, you know, forensic cases, which are about equalization, often for girls and often in education around sexual abuse in the schools and a whole range of different things. And uh, I'm not saying that and everyone, our listeners would all be expert witnesses, but I think there's a lot that can be done in the courts to change things. And uh, many people will file complaints. You know, many people will become active, you know, around certain situations. And I think it's maybe moving forward to be active when you see a place to do that. I Um, agree. I think that's a big part of it, being active when you see a place to do that. And I think being able to redefine what it means to be a member of society. I think for a long time, we've gone sort of down a more apathetic, like it will handle itself, or, you know, I need to just focus on me. And we really need to start seeing ourselves as part of a community. Yeah. One of the young girls I, I work with, I evaluated, and there was a recent case where um, 
she brought her story forward that she had been sexually abused while in high school. And um, the district and a whole range of people really fought that. Um, they said it was uh, she had given consent, even though it was clear that was not the case. And mm-hmm. this was a teacher 45 years older than she was. So really big discrepant difference. But she had the courage to really push forward her voice and uh, put her story forward. Reminds me of some of the younger women's voices we're hearing in Congress now Yeah, that are really talking about, you know, they want to be heard and they are not going to sit back and listen to all of the other voices patiently and not, not have their voices unheard, really. And I think it, that's a huge part of it is, you know, we've talked about some of these changes, but for me personally, like I'm becoming more politically active than I ever have been and, and following politics in a way that I never have before. And I think it's it's really shaped the way I think about government and how it really was designed to be a representation of people. And it's gone so far away from that. And I think what is so great is that some of the people that we're seeing, some of these younger Congress members and also Congress mm-hmm. members who have been there for a longer time, you're, you're seeing them being more responsive to the people that they represent. And I think that's really what democracy, the type of democracy that we want to have in the U.S. is about. It's about getting engaged and on whatever level you're able to. You know, if you can't be a congresswoman, that's totally <laughs> fine. But you can talk to your friends about it. You can engage in these conversations that ask how come these resources aren't there and what can we do to make these resources happen? You know, I think about parents that get engaged at schools to make sure that there are different programs available for their children. All of that makes a difference. Yeah. No, uh, with my grandson, there was a special needs situation in dealing with regional center and how that, how much that calls for from parents to really be involved in that, put forward that effort, and really ensure that children get the resources they need. So we can all do that, I think, within our own families. There's a lot of opportunity to have these conversations and then put forward the effort. And I think to recognize, I think we have this idea that in being an expert, you have to have a lot of education, you have to have a lot of letters after your name in order to be qualified to have an opinion. And certainly there's a place for experts because they have that education and they have that experience. But also on a personal level, when you're going through your day to day and you're seeing how things work or how they're not working and how they can be improved, that's also very important information. And I think people who are given spaces to share that type of information, it allows you to come up with new systems. With respect to this uh, young girl who was uh, suing the school district uh, following uh, extensive abuse, she really was an expert in that area. She knew more about that than I did by far or anyone. Really, she had lived through that experience and exposing it, exposing the abuse, you know, with her voice, Mm -hmm. she really identified and took on that role. And I think recognizing that I'm sure she had her own voice, which is such a beautiful thing, and then that she had support in being able to use that voice is very important. Exactly. Yeah. 
I was going to say, because often with some of the people that I work with, along the way, they're fighting so hard just to get their voices heard. And it's very sad that the people who are supposed to be there to to hear your story, sometimes they're the ones shutting it down. And it to me, it's a sign that our, our systems need to change. Yeah. Well, this brings us back to Sweden and to International uh, Women's Day. So uh, again, happy International Women's Day to you, Jennifer. And I, I tell all of our listeners out there, happy International Women's Day. And I'm hopeful as we hear more female voices that these issues that are important should be important to everyone, but are very important in women's lives are going to be brought forward. And I think the beauty of what I saw with the Happy International Women's Day is there's there's a move where it's not just about women anymore, but it's really about the whole culture shifting. You know, improving lives for women improves the lives of the entire culture, which improves the lives of people of all genders. That's definitely true when you think about something as simple as daycare or preschool. You know, that's a big woman's issue, but it's a big people's issue. It's a big children's issue. Right. And I think shifting our mentality to that, I think so much of the fight against what what some people have defined as feminism in the U.S. is really around this idea that it actually promotes the separation of genders. And feminism is really about equity for all. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, let's uh, end the podcast. And uh, for someone who was sleepy, you're pretty alert today. Oh, I appreciate that. (laughs) These things are, I love talking about these issues. Yeah. Uh, Take care. All right. Thanks, Lynn. Come on. Let's talk about sex.